Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Sam Palazzolo from Tip of the Spear Ventures. And if you want to lead at the Tip of the Spear, you should be listening to Build Your Network with my good friend, Travis Chappell. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Sam Palazzolo. Sam is an entrepreneur, venture capitalist, author, leadership professor, and nonprofit philanthropist. He brings a variety of value creation topics to entrepreneurs and business leaders, and his ideas and actionable takeaways are captured in his five books, the most recent being The Influential Leader, Leading at the Tip of the Spear. Sam, thanks so much for taking the time to join me on the show today. What's going on? Thank you, Travis. Doing great. How about yourself? You know, I can't complain. Can't complain. I got I got pretty sick last week. Uh, my wife is sick now. The kids also got sick. We all kind of came down with it, but I think I'm coming out on the right side of the equation now. Finally. So, um, but other than that, man, everything everything's going really well. So I want to I want to build some context here for everybody listening. Um, anytime I have the pleasure of talking with someone like yourself, as an esteemed career, I like to figure out how you got into doing what you're doing to begin with. You know, and you didn't, you didn't grow up in Shark Tank world where it was cool to be a venture capitalist. So I'm curious to hear, um, you know, what it was like being 12-year-old Sam. Talk to me about your family life, where you grew up. You know, did you like school? Uh, how did high school go? All that good stuff. 
Yeah, no, uh, great, great opening opportunity, I guess. I was, as my mother likes to say, I was born in the shadow of a manufacturing plant smokestack in Detroit, Michigan. So you're exactly right. This is not the world that I was born into. Modest, uh, I want to put us in a middle class type of an upbringing in the Detroit area. My mother's still there, 87 years old, going strong, made it through the pandemic and double vaccinated. So as she says, she's got gold flowing through her veins. She's ready to take on the world. Uh, but uh, 100% Italian guy, raised in an Italian neighborhood and, you know, didn't know that there was anything else much besides that. Uh, so I think it's one of those blessings where you don't know what you don't know uh, until I started reading <laughs> and found out there's a big world out there. And I'm the product of one household from birth all the way through going away to college. You start reading like fiction or nonfiction? <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a good a nonfiction guy. The, the yeah. fiction portion is, doesn't uh, resonate. I did write one, one of my books is a fiction piece, but of the other four, they're all nonfiction. So why did you start picking up nonfiction books at that age? I was consuming knowledge primarily because I wasn't satisfied with school. I was a good student, good B's. I mean, my, my father always told me never to get a C. And so that was the drive to get at least B's. But I, I, I wasn't a, a really a great student. But it was one of those things where I was always looking for, I'll put it in the supplemental information, things that could better me that I wasn't being taught in school. Uh, and I was born and raised in the restaurant business. It's the, I think it's the backbone of who I am as an individual, you know, and I've did, done everything in that business from general manager all the way down to, you know, a dishwasher, which is where I started, you know, when I was 14 years old. And my dad said, don't tell anybody how old you were. So, so it's one of those types of situations. Everything I know about business from a customer service perspective, fulfillment of what it is that your value prop is, all comes from that restaurant upbringing. Wow, okay. So when you were getting prepped to finish up high school, move into post-high school, what was the plan? Yeah, so I, <laughs> I worked in a restaurant until about midnight the night before the SATs. I remember going home, probably finally nodding off at about one. We had to be back at the school for testing a Saturday morning. I remember scrambling to get a bunch of number two pencils. And I got the results back of the SAT. My neighbor was a school counselor uh, for one of the neighboring community schools. And you know, my father didn't really understand, even though he was a brilliant accountant, what exactly this SAT and the results of it looked like and what it meant. And I couldn't make heads or tails of it either. So we took it over to our neighbor. Anyway, this gentleman looked at the results. And I can still remember it to this day, Travis. He looked at the results and then looked at me and looked at my father. And he said, you know, Sam can take this again. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I, you know, I think it's probably one of those things where I guess it's an aptitude test, right? And it's supposed to test your knowledge to date. And I guess maybe working until midnight and then finally nodding off at about one o'clock probably didn't help the situation. Yeah, but, you're probably not going to find that as advice in the test prep. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't see that from any of the SAT prep guides or yeah. anybody out there. But, but it is one of those things where it, I, I think that it was that type of a conversation when I look back on my youth and you know what kind of drove me forward. And even to this day, I, I love it when people tell me you can't do it or 
your best isn't good enough. I think I, I've had people tell me in the past. And, and those are the fuel moments that kind of, you know, cause me to build fire. And uh, that's what makes me drive down the highway faster, I think. Yeah, sure. So did you end up going to school then after that or? Yeah. So I, uh, I fortunately I was, I was, <laughs> I was accepted. I did my undergrad work at Indiana uh, I worked uh, on a manufacturing assembly line, though, um, as a UAW member. That's how I put my way through undergrad. And, you know, I, I was dedicated to it. I looked at school like it was a job, just like in the restaurant business. And I completed my undergrad in three and a half years. And so it's, wow. it's kind of ironic. I was then dedicated. I said, you know, I either want to go to law school after this or I want to go to uh, business school. And, and I applied around. I got accepted at a couple of uh, law schools, a couple more business schools. By that time, I wasn't working on the manufacturing assembly floor anymore. I was more working in a, in a corporate office environment at General Motors. And I remember I had uh, Vanderbilt outreach to me and asked me if I would come. And, and I said, uh, this seems to be amazing. This would be a great opportunity. I talked with my father, who was you know, kind of my confidant and my greatest mentor. And he said, I, I, that'd be amazing. Uh, my father did his undergrad work at the University of Detroit at night school. My mother went to college, uh, didn't finish. And so they both looked at it like, yeah, let's do it. And, and it really was a let's do it as in we're going to do it together type of a mentality. You know, I come from a real large Italian family, but very close, if that makes sense. You have a lot of siblings? Yeah, I have, uh, I have one brother and one sister, both older than me, but okay. I'm the youngest of 34 grandkids. So, so did, was it pretty common for people in your family to go to college then? Yeah, my, my brother and sister both went. I was the first to go to undergrad and complete it, or go to grad school and complete my grad degree. Okay. You know, meanwhile, my brother was working on his PhD, the, the first of several for him. Uh, he's a rocket scientist, a true rocket scientist. He has a rocket in the uh, Smithsonian. Oh. So, yeah. And, but it's one of those types of moments where it, it really fueled me. I'll tell you the best, and I'll come back to it. The best moment was going back to my next-door neighbor, the high school guidance counselor, who looked at my father and said, you know, he can take this SAT again. I completed not only undergrad, but grad school by the time his son, who we were the same age, completed undergrad. <laughs> so, wow. so kind of one of those moments for me, you know, early in the career path, I guess I chalked that up as a minor victory, if nothing more than, you know, we, we said we were going to do it and we went out and we did it. How important is that though? You know, and like a lot of times it's not even the accomplishment that matters. It's the fact that you figured out that you can accomplish it. Right. I think, I think there was a whole lot of benefits that came uh, as a result of it. You know, my, I mentioned my father was a great confidant and a mentor for me, but he was really kind of a, a macro type of a leader uh, in as much he would let me go and, you know, figure it out. Uh, and part of it was that I think he had obviously interest, invested interest in seeing me do well, but he really wanted me to go and figure it out. And I think it's that figure it out moment where I needed to figure out uh, how to register for college courses, uh, how to figure out how to get there, right? Um, I was a guy who I didn't have a car until I was, you know, in my you know, late teens, early 20s. And so it was one of those situations where I was heavily dependent on who was around me in the event that I needed to get from point A to B. 
Otherwise, I was going to hoof it. I was going to walk. <laughs> so kind of one of those situations. But you're, you're right. The, the minor, I look at it as a minor victory today. But you've got to have those types of milestones that allow you to kind of tick off some success, whether those are low-hanging fruit success moments or maybe higher up on the, on the food chain or in the fruit tree, so yeah. to speak. You've got to, you've got to give yourself some, some credit for the victories that you accomplish. Yeah, it helps build that confidence muscle to tell you that like, hey, I, I wasn't in a position to be able to do this, but I figured it out. So right. in the future, when I'm in another position where I probably shouldn't you know, be yet, I can figure that out too. You know, It's just going to take the same process that it took to figure this out. And that might be a bigger problem to, or a bigger gap. You know, it doesn't matter. The process is the same, right? Right. Yeah. It's, you know, parenting is a lot like leadership. I don't think that there's a differentiation between the two. It's how it is that you basically lead your children instead of the organization. You know, I would like to think that I do half as good a job as my father did with my kids. I've got two daughters, one who just graduated from college, the other one who's in her junior year. But it's one of those situations where, you know, they'll outreach and they'll ask me, dad, how do I do this? Or what do you think about this? And it's like, you know, what do you, what do you think about it? And what do you think you should do? Yeah. You know, what's, what's right for me, obviously, might not be right for you. Now, granted, you know, as a parent dynamic, I also want it to be with curbs on the road, right, operating sure. within those curbs. But, but it is one of those things where, you know, having to figure things out, I think it's one of the crucial leadership skills that you can build, whether you're leading an organization or, again, your, your children. Yeah. Did, did your daughters kind of follow in your footsteps at all? Your, your daughter that graduated, what did she do again? <laughs> The, the, she's going in a totally different path. This is my daughter who didn't wear pants until she was 14, Travis. Um, <laughs> she, so she only wore a dress or dresses, I should say. But she, she's always been my blood and guts daughter. She loves crime shows and she wants to be a forensic crime scene detective. That's awesome. And she's identified that her path there is through, she wants to become a police officer. So she's awesome. She's uh, at an academy right now, and she's going to be out there, you know, kind of beating the streets. She, right. <laughs> you know, it, it's just amazing. My, my youngest is more like me. Uh, she's, she's got a little bit more business savvy. She wants, to, she wants to do things in a business capacity. And so it's obviously, it's, it's, there's great dichotomy in the two. Um, I have one who wants to go civil servanthood. I have another who wants to really take on the world and show the world what it is that she has to offer. That's awesome. Got to be a cool moment as a parent. I got a, a couple little, little ones um, at the moment. And so that's always in the forefront of my mind. So I um, had to mention that. So I want to move into now what you're up to these days, Sam. And, and you, you have, like I said, a, um, an amazing resume. And uh, you've been able to, to do a lot of really great things now in your career, um, written several books. Um, so I, I want to talk with you a little bit about how you were able to go from your, you know, humble beginnings to, to what you, you know, have accomplished uh, now. So can you give us kind of fill in the gap from where we left sure. off college conversation and just kind of 30,000 foot view, you yep. know, get us to where you are now. And then we'll talk a little bit further about that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, after undergrad, I ended up, as I mentioned, going to work for General Motors and more of a corporate office uh, position. I, after five years there, I rose the ranks. My next move was going to be either to the treasurer's office or back to Detroit. Uh, by that time, I was working for, at the Saturn project that turned into a division for General Motors. Um, I didn't want to go back to Detroit, and my wife at the time didn't want to go to Manhattan. 
And so I wanted to go into a consulting role. Uh, I was kind of tired of being chained to a desk, if that makes sense. I mean, we, uh, I was the financial forecaster for the division. So one of those situations where I wanted to go out, wanted to travel. And so I joined a consultancy. I joined Aon's change management group out of Chicago. Uh, that caused me to go f- to make five moves in three years wow. from Nashville all the way to Honolulu and a bunch of places in between. Uh, but it was one of those things where it really helped me kind of solidify my change management skills, my leadership approach, how it is that I work with different clients, uh, both those that wanted me there and those that didn't want me there. I gained the reputation of being the kind of the guy who follows the elephant in the parade. In other words, when a project wasn't going along smoothly, I was the one who was tasked to go in and get it back running smoothly. Uh, so it was a it was a tremendous opportunity. I left the consulting firm because I said, you know, I want to go out and let me try this on my own. Yeah. I did that for a little over a year. Uh, then I had one of my mentors who went to work at Toyota Lexus. He asked me if I he was he wanted to put the band back together, Travis, so to speak. And so I uh, went to work at Toyota Corporate, Toyota Lexus. Um, started out as a district manager, rose through the ranks, ran a region for them. And then I had one of my favorite dealers recruit me. So I worked automotive retail for a couple of years uh, with a large auto platform. Uh, After that, I I decided I wanted to get back out into consulting and I had my own firm for about six years. It was a sales training, biz dev type of a consultancy that quickly morphed into a leadership development. Because if you don't have the leaders engaged, you're probably not going to hit metrics or key performance indicators or goal. So had that. And then my life really kind of changed. I had one of the CEOs I was working with uh, in a a tech capacity. He asked me, he's got an idea for a tech startup. We were talking about that before the interview today, your new venture. He had a similar one. And he asked me uh, if if he could hear me out or have me hear him out. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. I liked what he had to say. I asked him how I could help, which is my nature. And he said, I'm glad you think you like it because I, I would like you to help me run it. Uh, we raised $8 million straight out of the chute, and uh, it was gave us the opportunity to do some nice deep pocket development. I implemented the same types of sales, biz dev blueprints that we've been helping organizations implement and execute around the world. And we grew the revenue ramp steeply, just like that hockey stick graph and every pitch deck that you see. Uh, at about the 18-month mark, we had a couple PE firms uh, kind of checking us out. One got serious at the 20-month mark. And at 22 months, they ultimately purchased us. Uh, and I off-ramped shortly thereafter. That's great. Uh, that's, that's when I started uh, Tip of the Spear Ventures because I said, you know, I'm, I like that private equity space. Uh, I love the entrepreneurial spirit. And that's where I'm at to this day uh, at Tip of the Spear. We're celebrating our 10-year anniversary this coming February. We have two sides of the house. One is still very much a consultancy. Uh, we do what's called Deloitte calls uh, business entity transformation consulting. I would call it change. It's got a heavy focus on sales biz dev, but swims upstream and downstream to other departments. Uh, we also have a venture side of the house. We're still backers of early stage entrepreneurs, especially those post-revenue, a million dollar in revenue plus. We have a really nice business funding offering where we'll either work with entrepreneurs to help them through their capital raise or work on customer funding strategies. Uh, The thing that we're late bloomers into the market, but we look at M&A and merger and acquisition, specifically acquisition entrepreneurship, as 
a great route for the future, especially as baby boomers begin to exit the economy. There's a number of legacy businesses that are out there. They don't have clear secession plans. We want to carry on that legacy and we want to buy those types of firms. So that, that's kind of where it is that I'm at today at Tip of the Spear. Uh, you and I connected on a Nevada type of uh, episode, uh, adjunct faculty member at UNLV. I teach an exec ed course. It's based on my fifth book that you mentioned. It's called Leading at the Tip of the Spear, The Leader. And it's been an awesome relationship. But the best part of that is out of it has cropped a 501c3 nonprofit. I call it the Javelin Institute. And there we provide executive education. I know in a nonprofit category, according to the government, you can just offer education. <laughs> but I actually want this nonprofit to, to work for someone. In other words, I want it to work towards leaders who experience family hardship, Travis. Uh, the hardship of either, I call it a 4D model, death, disease, divorce, or drugs. If there's a leader out there that has experienced one of those, I want to get them because typically performance and productivity drops. I want to work with them and help them scale back up. Uh, we've got a, a number of different programs. I've worked with over a thousand leaders therein, and it's really a passion play of mine uh, to help out leaders who go through those difficult family hardship moments. But that's where I'm at today. That's amazing, man. I appreciate you uh, kind of getting us caught up there. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is, uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
I would love to ask you just a couple of quick questions about the relationship side of thing, because this is Build Your Network podcast, talk a lot about those types of things. And yes. Stuff. Relationships clearly been a huge aspect of, of what you do. And I don't know how you would even be able to be in the industry you've been in for the last decade if you didn't prioritize those types of things. So I'm curious to hear your answer to this question. It's the one that I ask every guest that's ever come on the show. Who you know or what you know, Sam, which of those two is the most important asset in life and why? Yeah, I think I think it's both. <laughs> and I laughed when you you asked me the question ahead of the interview, and I'll laugh again because I think, you know, obviously I'm a big believer in this to be a subject matter expert, you have to accomplish 10,000 hours worth of activity within the space. So that's the what you know portion. That in and of itself though alone in a vacuum isn't enough. You can be the greatest subject matter expert ever, but it's really who you know that can help leverage what it is that you know. And so this is almost the equivalent of the it depends answer, but I think it's both, not only what you know, but who you know as well. Is there a story or anecdote or something that comes to mind that you would think of through your career that, you know, a relationship that led to a big moment of success for you that maybe you didn't think about when you initially made the connection? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, I've met a number of great people. And I, like I mentioned earlier, my, my bent is, you know, to ask, how can I help? It's part of my nature, right? It's part of how I was raised. And I think it's from that restaurant upbringing that I mentioned earlier. Uh, I did some work with the University of Texas, and we were at one of their executive summits, a board meeting. And the gentleman sitting next to me, I came from big consulting, so Aon and Deloitte. I didn't mention Deloitte in that that overview, but I worked with Deloitte Consulting as well. Uh, he came from Accenture, and you know we we kind of struck up a conversation as as ex consultants do. You know, there's enough funny stories if you travel 45 plus weeks a year to go all the way around. But we struck up a conversation in that meeting, and. Afterwards, we started talking about, you know, what are the alignment opportunities that, that we might have together? Because I like you, you like me. And it was really at that moment that I identified one of the crucial, you know, principles of my life, which is I only want to work on projects I want to work on with individuals I want to work with them on. Uh, long story short, though, this gentleman, uh, you know, we have been through thick and thin. We have seen children be raised. Uh, we've gone through divorces. We've gone through great business deals. We've had a minority of the time, fortunately, un, un, I want to say unsuccessful business ventures. Uh, but we're still great friends to this day. And this is coming up on 15 plus years. So uh, it's, it's those types of things that you never know who it is you're going to be sitting next to at an event yeah. be it a conference, uh, a boardroom meeting, any type of a, an event is an opportunity. So that's why I, I will, I will say this much though. I have a rule of threes when it yeah. comes to introductions. Uh, everybody gets the first meeting, right? The second meeting typically is one of, okay, let's dig deeper on some of these alignment opportunities. By the third meeting, we've got to have really great clarity on, okay, great. So here's what we're going to do. And this is our drive forward. Uh, if we can't, you know, it's probably not going to go to a fourth meeting or a fifth meeting, certainly not in my space. So three meetings is is my maximum. And, you know, I used to get asked a lot of times, as you probably did, you know, hey, will you meet me for a cup of coffee? <laughs> if you figure you've got to unwind or stop doing what it is that you're doing, commute to the coffee house, have a conversation that everybody will tell you they only want a half an hour. 
Typically, it'll blow over to an hour. Um, and then you've got to commute back to the office, and then you've got to re-engage back into the office space. You basically are blowing a four-hour window. I typically will have a virtual cup of coffee. <laughs> um, and one of the folks that we work with now, they have advanced the virtual cup of coffee where they'll send prospects that want to work with them a Starbucks card for $7. <laughs> so that way they can get a cup of coffee on their end. We'll have a cup of, a cup of coffee on our end, uh, and it's the perfect meeting. So. Love that. Love that rule of three. I think that's a really great thing to be able to guard your time a little bit more. This, this has been awesome, Sam. I appreciate you coming on the show. I wish we had a little bit more time, but we are coming down to the end. I'd be remiss if I didn't at least ask you about the book that you that you have coming out now, The Influential Leader. Why Why now? And what are the what top one or two takeaways that you want readers to get from that? Yeah, so, so we wrote The Influential Leader. I wrote it uh, primarily because I looked at this whole leadership space there's so many books out there on leadership. I mean, there's 10,000 plus books, or I don't even know what the number is today on Amazon, if you would Google it. I mean, John Maxwell has like 90 by himself. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so, but it's one of those things where a lot of them, they, they lack the strategic direction. They lack the tactful, this is what you need to do day in, day out. And they really lack the actionable, this is how you put it into play. And so that's why I wrote Leading at the Tip of the Spear, The Leader, because I wanted to overcome that. Uh, you, can, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it on our website as well. Uh, I'll tell you what I have most people ask me today is they struggle with the most important aspect or asset in an organization, and that's the people moment. And so for your listeners, and I'm certain we'll put it in the show notes, we have a link that'll drive towards a series of success questions that we identified that'll help you lead yourself better, lead your team, as well as your organization's people moment. So 10, a series of success questions on people. Amazing, uh, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Um, Sam, can't thank you enough for taking the time. I know you're a super busy guy. You got a lot of things going on and a lot of uh, deals to examine, people to meet with, all that good stuff. So I appreciate you taking the time. I look forward to uh, potentially meeting up in person one of these days. Uh, maybe next time you're out in Vegas, visiting the Vegas offices, we'll grab some dinner or something like that. But I appreciate you for coming on. If you're listening right now, please, please, please go pick up a copy of Sam's book. I know that you will not regret that. Uh, that is the uh, influential leader leading at the tip of the spear. Go pick up a copy of that right now before you forget. Sam, thanks so much for coming on the show today, man. I had a fantastic time chatting with you. Likewise. Thank you, Travis. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.